Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. welcome here we know this is a big nice warm family I know it's cold out there but we warm here because we are in the family house hallelujah yes Psalm 78 1 to 7 give ear oh my people to my teaching incline your ears to the words of my mouth I will open my mouth in a parable I will alter dark sayings from of old, things that have been heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them and the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments hallelujah the verse 5 the verse 5 really was shouting to me He says, he established a testimony in Jacob. My prayer is that God established a testimony in patience. What's your prayer this morning? God established a testimony in Georgia. God established a testimony in America. Put your name there. God established a testimony in... Because we have what we say. He did it for Jacob. He will do it for us. Father, we thank you for your sweet presence here. You are already here. And we love on you. We worship and adore you. There is none like unto you. You are the ancient of days. You are the rock of ages. Our Father, our God, our King, our Savior. Our hope is in you. Our joy cometh from you. Our eyes are set on you. We can't do without you. Lord, we need you. 
Come and fill our emptiness. Fill us, let, fill us and let our cups run over. We love on you. We worship you. Jesus, we adore you. Sweet Jesus, we adore you. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, we thank you that you are good. Lord, we heard this morning to reclaim the power of that word good. As we were, lead, as we were praying this morning as a team, to capture the fullness of what good means. You are good. that we would know that we would be assured of that when we doubt we would return to that Lord I thank you for your presence this morning in this room I pray that we would take that with us when we leave that we wouldn't just gather on a Sunday morning in your presence, but that we would walk beside you every day, knowing that you are indeed good. Amen. We're going to do something a little different today, and um, this was prompted last week by just the horrific, awful... I was at a baseball tournament after church when we got the news, and the, the, both the teams, my son's team and the other team, actually stopped in the field and prayed for the churches, or for the church in Texas, which is horrific, but it pointed to me to something even more um, massive, and it's, it's that Christians just shouldn't be upset about what happened last week. Honestly, there's no good scenario for that to happen, but that it happens in a nightclub is awful. That it happens at a concert in Las Vegas is awful. This gets our attention. But I wanted to see if we could stand together, lock, lock, hold hands together, and cry out together. We're the body of Christ. We are the body that prays for this nation. There's a bunch of people praying for the Texas church, and it's awful. And if it were to happen here, it would be awful. But who's praying for the other people? Who's praying for the people in the nightclub? Who will stand against violence together and say that we don't think this is right? I don't think every Joe Schmo should be walking around with a... High, I don't know, whatever it is, a weapon that can kill a ton of people. I just think that's dumb. And so I want to stand together with you guys, and I just want to pray together that God would protect not just Christians, but everyone from this crazy nonsense, and that we would see people, a part of things that want to hurt people, start to get saved. We don't just want them to be punished, right? That's not the message of the gospel we would love to see them be saved, like leadership in these awful groups. Like the leaders to come to know Jesus in such a way that the people around them have to like stop and pay attention. So I just ask you right now, Jesus, that if anything is in the works even today, that you would do something to infiltrate the people involved so that they know that you are good and that their worth is in you, even as people on their way to do evil, that they know, that they take, like Paul did, that you would blind someone for three days and interact them, with them like Jesus is with them and let them come to know and even be a, a, a weapon for good, a weapon of love. 
a weapon for the gospel. We ask right now in Jesus' name that you would be with the families of the church, the pastor, for the loss of his daughter. That's horrific and awful. But even more than that, God, all those people in Las Vegas, God, we don't, this is not good. Help us to learn to cry out for those things, God. Not just conferences and not just what we need as a church and our location, but for brokenness, God. We ask you to bring healing to this land, to the people, salvation to people, restoration to broken people. Help us to be the individuals that carry you, the King of Peace, into broken cities with mean leadership, like we see we're about to read today. We also want to stand together, God, just corporately, just clarity against any racism. Of course, we do not want to be a part of that, and we want to see you come, like you did in the book of Ephesians, clearly involving the Gentiles in the Jewish mission. There is no one better than anyone. Help us to learn together. Help us to be people who will put everything down and learn. And just listen and learn. All of our preconceived notions where we think we know and we're going to say it and this is just how it is, help us to zip our lips and listen. Help us to be a people that would listen, God. Especially River City Church. If people need to vent or lament, let this be a space where that can happen. Because that is unity, like we talked about last night at our unity dinner. Unity is creating space for diversity, not uniformity. We need to listen if someone's broken, not just tell them to sing a praise song. We thank you, God, that we can stand together for things that mean something. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to jump right in um, to Mark chapter 11. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. It's in the New Testament. One of the Gospels, there's four. It's the shortest one. It's the story of Jesus through the lens of Mark. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Last week we talked about Bartimaeus, one of my favorite dudes in the Bible. The guy that was blind, threw off his cloak and ran to Jesus, even though people were telling him to stop, received the sight, stayed with Jesus. The idea of this cloak that he wore being his identity, he was identified with someone who was broken and needing assistance always, his plight and plot in life were on the side of a road, hoping that someone would give him something. Freed, because of bravery, because he had the willingness to, to examine himself and say, this is my brokenness that needs healing, and I'm going to do it because I've, I've heard about this guy. And Fred Hammonds sang a song many of you do not know, that I love. It's so old school and so good. Anybody know that song? No? You want me to sing another song? Are you all interested in that? There was a blind man on the roadside. You know that song? Anybody? Nobody? Amen? I want to do the rest, but I don't want, I don't want to make you guys covet my gift. Just kidding. I'm really insecure that I just did that, actually. I feel an immense amount of insecurity right now. It's a really good song, though. Um, Fred Hammond, I don't know what it's called, but it's about blind Bartimaeus, and he cried out to Jesus, I need you. Please don't pass me by. Nobody knows that song. I'm turning over this. Jesus is going to do that next week. You're here about that next week. So this week, we're kind of carrying on. Bartimaeus is now walking with Jesus, and they're entering Jerusalem. Why are they going to Jerusalem? Well, specifically speaking, three times a year, a male would enter Jerusalem for the feast, and they would all gather together. 
and there's usually roughly 100,000 men and somewhere between 200 and 300,000 people total. Their city swells from about 60,000 to about five times that big, three times a year. And so that's one thing. And the second thing is Jesus is now six days away from his death. Six days from here, he will die from the story. He already knows this is happening. He's willingly doing it. His disciples are walking with him. They're confused. They're still with him, though. These guys, I mean, as we've gone through Mark, these guys, for being just completely like us, completely like us, they, can, they remain so good. And they're never right. They're literally never right. And if they at any moment would have made a stance about their theology, the next week they would have had to erase it and be like, well, this is what we mean. He's like, mm, just fold that for a little bit. So these guys are walking with him. It's tense. It's hustle and bustle. Jesus is on his way in. This is the last phase of his mission. 33 years. Three years ministry, 30 years doing stuff we don't really know about, but we know it's things like carpentry and loving people well and being a son and a brother and a normal guy making stuff with his hands. So now he is entering the last six days of his life. What you would do if you knew you had six days left would be very strategic. You would not wake up at 12.30 in the afternoon and be like, let's watch some TV, guys. Every moment, right, would be specifically orchestrated. And there's a part of this that you need to see like that. Jesus is not flippantly walking into a city. We're going to read this. He did not just think, it'd be great to have a donkey. Go get it. There, there is such deep strategic purpose behind each moment that it makes you wonder if he's going to show himself, and he's on his way in to show, I am the king of these people. This is the kind of king I am. And these are the decisions I'm making to show that. It's really big. Our framework of a king, it's, it's not complete. I know for me, um, I honestly think, I was going to say this just in humor, but I honestly think our best understanding of a king is LeBron James. I legitimately think that. He's the closest thing to people. Tell me, like if I asked my son, tell me a king, he'd be like, LeBron James. LeBron James. And I'd be like, no, that's not a king. And, and then I have my framework of my wife's uh, media selection for what she would watch at home, which would be Downton Abbey or what's the other one? The Queen? The Crown? Is there one, The Queen? Okay, so, and in the, even in these shows, right, they're like, it's so vastly different. We have a president. I'm definitely not a king. And we don't even understand. Like, this isn't a framework. And I, I put myself in this because when I think of Jesus just being really transparent, I don't put him, I don't think of him on the seat and on a throne. I th always picture Jesus like within the midst of people. He's usually got dirty feet because he's been walking everywhere. He's doing things amongst the poor. I don't ever see him seated. Does anybody really see? I mean, it might, I'm not trying to like show that I'm right and you're wrong. It's just the legitimate version of Jesus. So for me, seeing him in the role of kingship is difficult. It's a difficult, but that also plays to a little bit of our Americanism where we would definitely not value submission. We would definitely not value being ruled. I imagine most of all of us really don't appreciate being ruled over, especially in the sense of kingship that we've heard of or in these shows, right? Upstairs, downstairs, that's another show for you deep cuts people. We don't, we don't really get it, right? And so there's a part of that we have to understand. What's the appropriate response to a king, to this kind of king? And he's about to come into the city and show people, I am the king. And his disciples are really nervous. 
It doesn't say that specifically, but you can just tell. They're on their way in to the city they had to previously flee in secret because people wanted to kill him. This isn't just a random place either. Six months prior to this, he was there raising Lazarus from the dead. Mary and Martha, these were his friends that he possibly or probably visited occasionally to just be with. So this is all strategery. This is all purposed. And the disciples know they're in danger. They know that the mission of Jesus that they are now part of is dangerous for them and will cost them something. It is not just showing up to get what you need. It's not just we're about to win. They still kind of think that. But he's actually involving people. And Bartimaeus is still with them. This guy just got on board. He's like, you don't even know what you stepped into, do-da, do-da. Come on, Bart. You're going to love it. I'm going to die in six days. You're going to flee. He's on their way. The guys are walking with him. They know this is not going to end well. It can't. These guys want to kill us. We're telling them that they're wrong. And, and we actually hope that Jesus destroys them somehow. They sing a chant in a minute. You're going to read, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they talk about the kingdom of David. Not the kingdom of Jesus because nobody understands it yet. The kingdom of David, which we know what that is. It's one that destroys, right? It's one for battle. It's, they welcome a conquering king. That's why they chant. So if you could open up your Bibles to Mark 11, verses 1 through 11, I'm going to read this to you. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. And tie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and it will be sent back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied there, just like they had said. It was at a door outside the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying that colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. That last verse is so fascinating to me. There's nothing in it, really. He, this, I don't know why I'm doing this here, but he just walks into the temple that he'll be in the, the following day. He does this. All right. He walks out. He's about to flip some tables in that place. I don't know what he's doing, but he was probably like, that table's going, guys going. <laughs> Got a little notepad. Because it was old school. I love that. We're going to end with that because I, I think for me there's got to be an invitation for Jesus to walk into every, every room that I have created and examine it. And be like, gosh, what are you doing, bro? Um, but I'm not going to do that right now. First things first, we're going to pray, Jesus. You're a king that rode in on P as the king of peace on a donkey. 
and not just for them. You ride into our lives. You're already on mission. We're just some people walking with you. So today, as we walk into this passage, let us understand and clearly know that it is the living, breathing, and active word that is talked about like a sword, not to be used against other people, but as a precision instrument in our hearts. To be coupled with the Holy Spirit, which brings revelation to us where we need it and helps us to see what you're saying specifically, because it is a living word, and as a living thing, it speaks. And we also do that in the context of community what you died for, the bride, what you love, the church, the gathering of people who are all different parts forming one, needing to show unity to the world according to John, according to John 17, that we would be one as you are one. So as we read this and understand it and apply it today, let us know that your spirit is active and alive, trying to show us what we already need to see. Help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see. We've read so many passages in Mark where people are spiritually blind and actually blind. And you're always bringing healing in those things. Heal our brokenness to see and perceive where and what you are doing. So that when you point your finger down and place it on us and say, I'm asking this of you now, will you obey? And even interact with the feelings when we hear a word like obey. We don't like that. Thank you, Jesus, that you're here. Amen. First thing I want to tell you about this is that Jesus knew what he was doing from start to finish. There's no, there's no part of this story that snuck in. He knew what he was doing. From the city to the friends to the cult, which is baffling and mind-boggling that they spend that much time talking about the donkey or some people would say the ass, which is what they would have said. But it spends two verses on this part alone. So it makes you go, why are you talking about this so much? Wouldn't you just get through this to get to your, your purpose? Why are you spending so much time on this? Well, first, I think it's important that you know Christians need to know their Bible. And in Zechariah 9, 9, if you can pull that up for me, Bill, it talks about this before. But they're not framing this in a way that would show this kind of person. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Not even a donkey, the foal of a donkey. So this is something that was told to them that they, didn't, they couldn't perceive because their idea of the kingdom of David was so different from this. Usually when you entered a city and you were king, you would show up on a horse or leave it on a horse if you were, if you were there for war or a stallion. If you showed up on a donkey, it meant that you came in peace. So for them... This actually wasn't like it was for us. So like when we talk about a donkey, we actually use that word to make fun of someone, right? You're being an donkey, but you know what I'm saying, right? I'm not going to use it in that context, right? It's a little too Christian edgy, right? Like, I'm not going to do that. But, you're being, but if you would have literally said that to them, I, I, I imagine that somebody's like, you're kind of being a, they'd probably be like, well, thank you very much. You are as well. Because it means that they were peaceful people, and it represented something of submission and peace, and it would be the vehicle in which Jesus would ride. So don't walk around saying that to people, thinking it's funny, because they won't get it, right? Unless you want to read this passage to them. The other thing about this is that he's on a donkey. There's so much time spent on this because he wanted to be just the preliminary part to what he's doing. 
He's trying to paint a picture in a society that needs to see a different version of a king. He's trying to paint a picture to a nationalistic religion that is very keen on making sure one particular group is blessed and honored and others serve that group. He's trying to step into a system that he will most assuredly not beat. There is no way to defeat them in in the physical realm. So he's on a donkey, and they don't even get it, to show up to the city and say, I come as the king of peace. I'm coming not to destroy. That's his entry into his last six days, the kind of king he will be. Secondly, he wants to include us. He asked two of his disciples, which it doesn't name, I hope it's James and John, because they were just previously arguing about who was greater and who would sit closest to him. So I kind of hope he was like, hey, guys, go get a donkey for me. And his friends were probably like, (laughs) okay, they go. But he wants to include people. This part to me is also a little silly. Like, this is strategic time. You're, You're about to die. There's a better way to do this. Jordan mentioned in our staff meeting, we always break apart the word together before we preach it. If you're a king and you enter a city and you want something, you go and take it. And people give it. And if they don't, you kill those people. I mean, not today, not LeBron, but like old school kings would literally take the life of somebody that would fight it. Jesus sends his disciples with specific directions, including them. They didn't have to do that. Sending them and saying, here's what you do when you get there. They don't have the end picture. He didn't say, and at the cross. He said just enough for like 30 minutes ahead. It's about two miles So however long it takes them to get there, and they get there, and they steal a donkey, possibly in their mind. We're stealing this donkey because Jesus said it. I guess that's okay. Jesus told me to do it. It's like Grand Theft Auto for them. That's like a good vehicle. So they're taking it. Hey, what are you doing? Just like he said, Jesus told me to take this. I love that they also paint the picture how when the Holy Spirit tells us to do something, which honestly a lot of times it's not really him. Let's just be honest. Sometimes it's just us saying that we want something and attaching him to it. A little bit like here. Like, come like the king of David. And Jesus like, no, I'm coming like the king of kings. He looks like peace. We do that, though. But they show us. When somebody asks you, have a reason for, for the hope. What are you doing? I'm, I'm taking this donkey. Uh, Jesus asked me to take it. Okay. That's all that happens. Like, okay. That's good. If I show up at your house and take your car and I'm like, Russ, sorry to pick on you, Russ. Jesus told me to take your, what kind of car do you drive? Uh, Jesus told me to take your Colorado. Your words are not going to be like, go in peace. <laughs> it's not happening, right? Like, there's also the element of when Jesus speaks that he like, prepares the other parts of it. So I just think, listen, maybe if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and like your surrounding is fighting everything about it, maybe listen to that, right? Just like the primal, God told me to do this doesn't work, specifically in dating, uh, buying a house, Um, and anything that involves taking away people's power. (laughs) Jesus has this sweet, submissive type of Holy Spirit leading that people need to be like, "Um, Jesus told me to do it. I'm not just taking it because I can do it, because I'm here to get my blessing right now. Does that make sense? Like, It's good for the Holy Spirit to speak to us and lead us and pivotal in our lives, but that doesn't mean we get to trample on people. That doesn't give us the right to be like, you shut your mouth. God told me I'm the head and you're the tail. Well, no, you're, no, no. He came to serve and not be served, so 
So let the Holy Spirit lead you, but let him lead you with the fruit of the Spirit. In this setting, I imagine because of how calmly that went, there was the element of the loving presence of the Holy Spirit in Jesus. Like I, It just seems like that to me. So these people show us how to actually respond by, by listening to Jesus, doing in obedience what he said, not having all the information, and then being able to express to the environment around that guidance the truth about what's happening. So I think that's important, and I'm appreciative that they did that for us. Um, the second thing, or the last thing I want to share with you, the praise that happens here. We, who's, who's sung the song, um, Hosanna? Okay, everybody, right? Like, if you haven't, you're about to. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Karis, take it away. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. So here's, here's the bad news about that. They, they really misunderstood what they were saying. Um, in this passage, they were saying, save us now. Save us like King David would save us. And so they're half right here. We sing that song. We understand King of Peace. They sing that song because they wanted somebody to destroy their enemy. But I do love the half right part and the symbolism connected to the previous passage about the cloak, which I might be stepping out here, but I'm going to do it. Um, so it's a spontaneous reaction that they take off their coats, the disciples first, place it on the colt, donkey, and then the people around place all of their cloaks on the ground around it. So get that picture in your head. Just coats and cloaks that are not of fine quality. They're poorly made, of course, because it's, they don't have the stuff we have. And also leaves from a, a nearby field. So this is all happening spontaneously. One of the reasons for that is because this is how you would pay homage to a king if they were entering. This is a normal thing. And secondly, this is Jesus. This is the promised king. Come. Come. Hosanna. Save us. Come, come like King David, destroy our enemies. I don't know that they know that they were symbolically, metaphorically doing something that I think is very important here. But the idea in the previous passage last week in Mark 10, 46 through 52, was that Bartimaeus took off his coat and left it because he was deciding to leave his identity behind. Everything that sustained this way of life that was not helping him, that was harming him, that was keeping his battered system afloat of brokenness, he decides to step out of that and step towards Jesus, a new identity, an identity that would be an eternal identity, an identity as a worthy son or daughter that is now has a place as an adopted son, eventually seven or eight days ahead. So I like to think that there's something of a common goal of these people taking off their cloaks and putting them on a donkey or on the ground and maybe symbolically, prophetically saying, everything about me is now under this king. Everything about me is under this king. It's not just about singing Hosanna. It's not just about saying the right worship song or being able to worship loudly. If you're not submitted to Jesus, it's not even real worship. If you're great at screaming songs to Jesus, but awful at actually submitting to a king, stop the singing. Submit to the king. It doesn't matter how loudly you can sing or if it goes four hours. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's the perfect hymn or if it's theologically sound. If you're not under Jesus and his kingship, it's not really worship. And the thing about that is he is not like the kings we watch shows about. 
He's the king who comes riding on a donkey because he brings peace and restoration. And his goal with coming to you is to restore you. His kingship is one like we have not seen. It's the good one. The one you want to show up in the temple courts and worship. The ones you want to submit to. The one you want to be led by. The one you wish you could be led by. The one you hope is real. This is King Jesus. And so us taking off our identities and collectively saying, yeah, I'm placing all of me under you because you're on mission. And your mission is to restore the stinking world. You're coming to do all the things we hope to do by our little false identities. Our false successes. Our idea of whatever it means to be safe. We're now placing that under you. Because what is not happening is complete safety. We talked about this in our pre-service meeting. To be a disciple of Christ does not mean that you'll be protected for the rest of your life. It, it does not mean that you'll go before he comes because he's trying to... It means that you're willing to go into the storm with Jesus next to you. That's a disciple, right? Like, That's Jesus. Emmanuel into an earth he didn't have to do, taking off his God clothes, putting on the clothes of man, being clothed in flesh to die, to go and die. How has the gospel turned into, it's all about my blessing? This is not good. This is us chanting at him, come King David. I want to be like, no, dude, he's not King David, it's Jesus. He's a different, he's altogether different, right? Altogether different. We can't put things that shouldn't be with Jesus with Jesus, right? Like, you can't attach things to Jesus that aren't as good as Jesus. And, and believe me, so, and I just want to say thank you for military service. That's a beautiful thing. But even the, the Facebook post that says, I kneel for Jesus and stand for the flag, that's, those, should, those should not be together. Those should not be together. That is not the same thing. Thank you so much for serving and keeping us safe. That is a beautiful thing. But that is not Jesus. Jesus is his own thing. He's over here. He's not King David either because it's the same thing then. The same thing happening in America was happening then. And Jesus rode into town on a donkey to say, I'm coming in peace. Put your weapons down. And they said, no, we're not putting our weapons down. We're actually going to kill you with them. And they put him on a cross and he dies. That's what a nationalistic version of religion does to a Jesus. So you can bet when he includes us in his gospel and asks us to be a part, we can, we're going to have some storms. You can bet that's going to happen. When you stand for the real Jesus that lets people smack once and then smack again. Smack me once. I'm, it's going to take everything in me to not kick, like even like a little kick. <laughs> do it again. Do it again. I'll be like, simultaneous second slap, you're getting kicked. You can slap me, but I am like, boom. Nothing in me enjoys that. That's the part of the gospel we have to understand. It's not just about getting what we want. It's not even about just America being the... It's not about America at all. It's about Jesus' kingdom, and his kingdom is different than the kingdom of David. These people were celebrating the coming kingdom of David, and they had the king with them. If you want to know what the kingdom looks like, look at the king of it. The king that they were celebrating was dead. The king that was coming was literally this far from them. The kingdom has to look like the actual king. If our kingdoms have been constructed from a previous thing that's not even here anymore, that's not the kingdom of Jesus. Does that make sense? I feel like I've said some hard things. Jesus is so much better than all of it. Would you want more that someone trying to kill us would be saved by Jesus and restored 
or would you want them killed more? The answer to that is the kingdom you're in. Would you want your enemy to pay badly for the nastiness? Do you want to pay for your nastiness? I don't. So there's got to be a Jesus that forgives my enemies. Because for that to happen, I'm also forgiven, and I'm thankful for that. But I've also got to become this stinking donkey, which I don't want to become. He's asking us to become a donkey. That's the only thing in the story that got it right, stinking donkey. Donkey gets it right a lot in the Bible. I don't understand it. The donkey gets it right. Thinking donkeys are talking. This donkey is taking the king of peace to his destination. This donkey is what Jesus rides upon to get where he's going. He's, he's calling us. This is, I really believe prophetically for the church he's calling us to be the donkey. The king of peace is asking us to take him where he needs to go. And it's not into... He wasn't like, we're going to stop real quick at J17, the Jesus conference. I just made up a conference. The J17 conference where I've got a little gig going on. Check the bookings on my website. Um, that's now. And then we'll go to the, he's like, your destination, the donkey, the disciples, and me are to take me to where I'm going to die. He's looking for people who will become an donkey for him. I will take you into places that need peace, Jesus. I will take you in to, to enemies, and I will show the king of peace. Because in the end, what people don't know, and no one knew because in, well, it's going to be like three months for us, but in six days for them, everyone flees when Jesus does what he does, even the dudes that stayed with him. They're confused. So prophetically, we say to him, yeah, we want to become the donkey. All right? What a beautiful picture for us. What a beautiful picture of humility for us to realize. It's not a stallion. Thank God it's not a stallion. That'd be so easy to do. That's just another, like, same. Look at that nice stallion, that king's coming around. Blah, 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 blah. And rolls up Jesus on a donkey. Like, Jesus, come on, man. You need, like, a crew with you to help you pick things. <laughs> you need a publicity crew, bro. He's like, no, I'm riding a donkey, and there's a specific reason for this. I've actually planned this for 32 years that this would be the way it would go. I'm asking you to be a part of it. Do you want to be a part of this? All right. Yeah. That's us. So he is sticking his hand out to you, and he's saying, first and foremost, I got everything under control. And I really believe that. I don't believe there's a part of any of you that is outside of what he knows. You're like, no, but there's just one part. No, every part. He knows. And I also believe that he speaks to us. I'm not sure where all of you are about hearing the voice of God, but I know in my life, this would not be here. This would not be here. Fathership would not be here if I couldn't hear from my father, Jesus. I do believe that his sheep hear his voice. I love that he calls us sheep, and I do believe that we're sheep. I believe that he knows what's happening with you. He actually is speaking to you right now. And I believe that Jesus has provided the Holy Spirit, the word of God, and community around you to help you decipher that. Because some of you are going to be like, God told me I'm getting this girl to marry me over here on the other side. And she's going to be like, no, you, no, God did not say that. And you need community to be like, that was dumb that you thought that. But God is good. He's going he's to carry you with you. But you need those three things. The word of God, absolutely, right? They need to know that Zechariah 9.9 already talks about this. You need the Holy Spirit, which was given to the church of Acts. And he actually came back to give the gift. Great. Empowered them. And then thirdly, you need to know that God's community is important. It's not just about you. 
you know, even though there was a thesis put on a wall about not having to have somebody read the Bible for me, it's not just my personal devotion. It's communal. It's a community thing where each part has honor. And I need to be able to say to you, I, I'm struggling through this. I don't really know what this means. What do you think? And be able to listen to you say, well, yeah, that's not, that's not right. And come around it. So he's, he's got it under control. He's trying to speak to you. He wants to include you. Be willing to do the things that include you that don't mean that you're on the donkey. We really need to be that. I don't know how to be a church with a bunch of people that have to be riding a stallion. And I don't sense that in our group. I don't ever want to be that. But if you're not willing to get on the donkey like, and be that humble picture of Jesus, if you're not willing to do that, then you're probably not willing to step into what he's called you to. Because it's going to be connected to humility, submission. There's going to be suffering in it for sure. There's going to be suffering in it. Then lastly, I would say, what would it look like for you to truly worship? And if you can come up, um, people who are doing song stuff after this, whoever that is. So what I want to ask you, okay? We're evidently a charismatic church. Um, when you're here in worship, you can sense that. But I just want to challenge you, all right? If that is not actually worship for you to scream, and it would be more worship for you, worshipful for you to submit your life to Jesus and let him into other things and be silent for a season? Are you able to interact with that? Are you able to clearly say Hosanna, but also say, here's my identity and everything about me. I'm under you. Because if you can only do the one, you gotta be, you got you to start now doing the other. Submission to the king. So I want to just open this question to you as we end. What would actual real worship look like for you? Not just your go-to flair or stream that you love or discipline that's easy. What would true worship look like for you? Because worship is all throughout this passage. Submission, obedience, I'll follow you. I'll do this for you. I'll be brave for you. I'll, I'll pay homage to you. I'll be wrong and be loved by you. But it's going to all be about you. So let him interact with you for a moment. In fact, just close your eyes. I just love symbols and pictures. So in the cheesiest way possible that your brain can conjure up this image, Jesus rides into your mind on a donkey right now. And he begins to interact with you, his beloved son or daughter. And first and foremost, he tells you, your worth is settled. Please stop fighting to be accepted. Be still and know that I'm God. He says that to you. Then he begins to interact with you and speak to you. For the next few moments, let him do that while they lead us in worship. So Father, I just pray that your blessings would go before us, that your, your guidance would be before us, but that you would be with us, God. I pray for, I do ask for protection I ask for safety, but I ask for more than that, that you would be our guide into whatever we go to. We thank you for River City, and we thank you that we want you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.